On Tuesday, January 10th, 2010, a magnitude 7.0 earthquake struck the island country of Haiti. We all watched in shock and horror as this island country was left in utter ruins. We watched as we saw the death toll rise to over 300,000 lives lost. We grieved as we saw families split apart by the death of loved ones. We grieved over children left without parents and parents without children. We watched as we saw many who were left to sleep in the streets and forced to be homeless as their homes and shelters had been destroyed. We watched as the disease began to set in and the country literally was brought to its knees. We watched as a country was decimated and millions of people were left in great distress. Many of us watched and simply shook our heads in disbelief. Many of us watched and were brought to our knees in prayer for the hurting people of the country of Haiti. Many of us watched and were moved to give financially. The total right now, as I saw on a website, is somewhere over a billion dollars has been given in the relief efforts in Haiti. Many of us were moved with a desire to actually go there, help the hurting and relieve the distress of those people any way we can. And even now, our church is looking at ways and opportunities to be a relief and help to the country of Haiti as they begin to rebuild. But what is it in the heart of a person that can watch and observe and see the distress of other people and see the hurting of other people and grieve in our hearts and then actually be moved to want to step in and take action in any way we can to relieve the hurting and the distress of other people. What is that in the heart of people that moves us to that kind of action? Well, the Bible calls it mercy. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. This morning as a church family, we're going to continue through this great study of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You can take your Bibles and turn there this morning, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing to look at the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we've set out on a journey to examine the words of Jesus and to drop the words of Jesus like a plumb line, if you will, down in our lives and see how we're doing, so to speak, with this radical way of life that Jesus teaches on here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now you remember that the Sermon on the Mount begins with a series of statements that we call the Beatitudes. And these statements are so radical, they're so countercultural that we have taken a week and given to each of these eight Beatitudes here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've even given a definition to what these Beatitudes are, and we want to put that on the screen and just remind you again, when we look at these Beatitudes, what are we talking about? Well, we've said these Beatitudes, they're this, they are declarations of a radical way of life. Jesus is not just giving us another rule to follow, He's not just giving us another teaching, He's declaring a radical way of life that is available to every Jesus follower. This radical way of life is made possible in Christ. 
This is not the, the, uh, the natural way to live that he's describing. It's a supernatural way to live. Made possible in Jesus Christ. Resulting in real, unshakable happiness. Eight times here in this chapter, he says, blessed are the, blessed are the. The word is translated happiness. Now, not just a happiness that's dependent on our circumstances. Not a happiness that rises or falls on how our day went. But a deep, abiding joy of the heart. Based on the truth of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. So I want us to read again, beginning in verse 1, as kind of review and to get our minds wrapped around what Jesus was saying here. And then we're going to dive into the fifth beatitude this morning. But let's read. The words will be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, when we take these Beatitudes and we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, we said it's like we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching us these words. And he's teaching us this radical way of life. We are simply following Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to what he has to say to our hearts this morning. And he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Although these Beatitudes are eight separate statements, the Beatitudes do not stand alone. Uh, these Beatitudes are progressive and they build on one another. And to understand what Jesus was saying completely here, you have to take each one, but you have to read them in context with the other ones. And over the past four weeks, we've taken a look at each of the first four Beatitudes. And the first four Beatitudes that we've looked at have primarily focused on the internal transformation that God is doing in the life of every Jesus follower. The first four, if you will, have been primarily focused on the heart and who we are becoming and what Jesus is doing on the inside primarily. The second five that we're going to begin to look at tonight are primarily focused on the fruit of that transformation and what flows out of a life that God is working on the inside. And we see from the Beatitudes a great truth of the Christian life, and that's this, that God first works in us before He does a work through us. God is always much more concerned with who we are becoming than what we are doing, because who we are becoming always determines what we're going to be doing. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, a Christian is something 
before he does anything. The first four Beatitudes are primarily dealing with the issues of the heart. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That heart attitude of recognizing what I bring to the table before God is nothing. I'm like a beggar on the side of the road as far as righteousness and goodness of my own self. I bring nothing to the table. I am empty and I cry out for the mercy and grace of God. The idea of mourning is recognizing our own sin and sin in the lives of others and being broken over the effects of that. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is that hard attitude of, God, I want more of you and more of your word and never being satisfied. It's a heart attitude. And we see that for the first four Beatitudes. They're not so concerned with what we are doing, but much more concerned with who we are becoming on the inside. But the second four reveal a, a very important, equally important truth, and that's this. Any genuine work of God on the inside will always ultimately bear fruit on the outside. In other words, how do you know God's at work on the inside of a person? Well, ultimately, they're going to bear fruit on the outside. Don't be deceived to think God's doing something on the inside of your heart if it never shows itself on the outside. Jesus says those two always ultimately go together. God does a work in us, but ultimately He'll do a work through us because that's the way the Spirit of God works in our lives. And that's what the Beatitudes reveal here. A person who is genuinely becoming poor in spirit, they're going to display mercy. A person who's genuinely mourning over their sin and sin in the lives of other people, they're, they're going to become pure in heart and it's going to show itself in the way they live their lives. The person who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness in this culture and in this world, and it manifests itself on the outside, you're going to face opposition. Count on it. Jesus does a work in us, and He always does a work through us, and the Beatitudes show that. And this morning is kind of a transition in the Beatitudes. We go to the fifth Beatitude that's focused a little bit more on what is going on on the outside, what is demonstrated by our lives. Jesus says again, and we'll read it, verse 7. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is mercy? What's Jesus talking about here? I mean, what did they hear in that day when they heard Jesus say, Blessed are the merciful? How did they understand it? Well, the idea of mercy was not at all what they expected Jesus to say. To exalt mercy was not in any way what they expected to hear from the lips of Jesus. See, in the day Jesus taught the whole concept of mercy and what mercy was and what it looked like had been totally distorted. Mercy had been totally turned upside down in the day of Jesus and he speaks to try to help them understand what mercy really was and what it really looked like and how it was at the very heart of God himself. See, in the Greco-Roman world of that day, the day that Jesus lived, there was even a famous Roman philosopher who said, mercy is the disease of the soul. It's a sign of weakness. The Romans glorified justice and power and discipline, and they looked down on mercy. Mercy had been totally turned upside down. 
If you were a father in that day in the Roman world, there was even a law that gave you the legal right when your son or daughter was born to either give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to whether or not you even wanted that son or daughter. There was a law in the books in, the day of, in this day that if you were a slave owner and you somehow were displeased with your slave, you could do the thumbs up or thumbs down and that slave could legally be killed without any recourse in your life. Mercy had been totally distorted in that day. and The words of Jesus are radical in what he's saying about mercy. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day had totally messed up what mercy was all about. They didn't get it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had so corrupted the understanding of mercy. Mercy, they believed, was something that had to be earned. And if you showed enough mercy, then you would deserve enough mercy. And if you could clean up your life enough before God on the outside, He might have mercy on you. And it was totally a performance-based mentality. That's why the religious leaders of the day weren't very big on giving mercy unless you earned it or you deserved it. That's why Jesus stepped on the scene and some of the things he did didn't sit real well with them. They didn't understand how he could show mercy to a woman caught in adultery. They didn't understand how Jesus could show mercy to those people called the sinners and the tax collectors and they said to Jesus, you're a friend of the sinners and tax collectors. What are you doing hanging out with those kinds of people? They don't deserve mercy. There was even one occasion when Jesus and the religious leaders were in the temple. And a man walks in, and you probably read the story before or heard the story, but the man walks in and he had a withered arm and a withered hand. And that day, that was no minor thing because if you didn't have your hands, you couldn't work and you couldn't provide for your family. And he was in a bad situation. And he happened to walk into the temple. And Jesus sees this guy come in and Jesus walks over to him. And you know the story. Jesus went to this guy and the Bible says he felt compassion and he healed the man. And gave him his life back, if you will, and the ability to work and support his family. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders were there. And when they saw Jesus heal this guy, you know what they did? They were standing over with their righteous, pious attitudes, and they said, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? How dare you heal a man on the Sabbath? Don't you understand the Sabbath is set aside for religious stuff, not healing somebody? How dare you perform a work of healing on the religious day of the Sabbath? They had mercy so twisted. And that's what Jesus said to them. He said, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus speaks right to their heart and he says, listen guys, your religious activity has hindered you from showing mercy. Sometimes you're so caught up in your religious activity and your religious do's and don'ts and all that you're doing that you think is the right thing to do to earn righteousness before God. You forsake the weightier things of the law, mercy. Do we ever do that? Sometimes. 
So Jesus steps on the scene and he kind of turns their apple cart over of what mercy is all about. And this morning we're going to be kind of confronted with the idea of what is mercy and are we really merciful people? Jesus in the Word teaches something totally different about mercy. Psalm 145 says, The Lord, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. 2 Samuel 24, David said, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord for His mercies are great. The Bible has a lot to say about mercy. The Bible says a very characteristic of God Himself is abundant, rich in mercy. So this morning when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, what did He mean? What was He talking about? Well, what I want to do is just ask a couple questions this morning. The first one's pretty obvious. What is mercy? What is mercy? And rather than answer that or give you a definition right off, I want to show you an illustration or a story from Scripture that demonstrates a little bit of what mercy is as Jesus saw it. So you can turn in your Bibles or the words will be on the screen. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. And I want us to look at an account in the life of Jesus that's a great demonstration of the mercy that Jesus was talking about. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. The words will be on the screen for you in just a moment. Here's what the Bible says. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. I'll stop right there for just a second. Let me set the context. Jesus has been in Jericho. He's been uh, healing there and teaching there and carrying out ministry in the city of Jericho. And he's leaving Jericho. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. He is about a week to ten days from going to the cross. He's got a lot on his mind. He's got a lot to get done. He's got a full schedule. And he leaves Jericho and is en route to Jerusalem. And there's a crowd that's following with him. Probably his Some of his disciples, maybe some of the religious leaders of the day. We don't know who who all is a part of that crowd. But there's a crowd that's walking with Jesus. And Verse 30 says, as they came out of the city, two blind men were sitting by the road. Hearing that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And you need to remember in that day again, if you were a blind man... The only means that you had to support yourself and your family was to simply sit on the side of the road and beg. You couldn't work. There's no welfare. No government assistance. No way to earn a living. So what these guys would do is they would sit on the thoroughfares of these cities, the roads that came out of the cities, and they would just beg. That's the only way they had to make a living. Jesus comes out of the city and here's these two blind guys and all they need to do is beg and they hear, the Bible says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And they had enough theology in their heart to believe that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. In fact, they cry out and they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. These guys knew more than the religious leaders of the day. They give him a messianic title. They say, this is the Messiah. He's the one. If anybody can help us, it's him. 
And they cry out to Jesus, the Bible says, Lord, have mercy on us. Verse 31, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. <laughs> Can you imagine? Here comes Jesus in the crowd. And these blind guys are crying out for mercy. Jesus, help us. And the crowd goes, would you just quiet down? Jesus is really busy with Messiah stuff. He doesn't have time for you. The Bible says, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 32, and Jesus stopped and called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine that? I mean, the picture is something like this, that Jesus stops and the crowd stops and he says, bring those, bring those guys over here. I'm sure they had to guide him and gather him by the hand and bring him face to face with Jesus. And all they can hear is the words of Jesus. And here's what they hear. What do you want me to do for you? And they go, well, I'd really like a new car. No. They said, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Jesus, would you give us mercy? Would you heal us from our distress? Verse 34 says, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and they followed him. Jesus gives us a picture here of mercy. Jesus saw the distress of another. He stopped and laid aside his own plans and his busy schedule, if you will. He felt in his own heart their misery. He felt it within him. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. The word compassion here means literally, if you translate it literally, it would mean your guts. <laughs> That's the living Bible, your guts. Anyway, it's this internal churning of your inside. Jesus felt what they felt. And then he not only felt it, he acted to relieve their misery. He gives us a picture of what real mercy is all about. So taking this from Jesus, what is mercy? He gave us a picture, but I want to give it a definition this morning. Here's a working definition of the best we have right now of what mercy is. And let me say again, when you tackle something like mercy, you feel like you only gloss the surface of what the Bible says about it, but we're going to take a stab at it. Here's a definition. Mercy, it's the heart of God for humanity. Mercy begins in the heart of God. It is manifest in my life by Him working through me to relieve the suffering of others. It's the heart of God for humanity. He's working through my life to relieve the suffering of others. Let me show you a little diagram that even helps me get my hands around this a little bit better. Mercy, we said, all mercy begins with God. All mercy begins in the heart of God. I can't generate mercy of myself because I don't have any. All mercy begins in the heart of God. And God has a heart toward the world. God wants to show mercy and relieve the hurtings of the world. But God's method and God's pattern of showing mercy to the world and relieving the hurts of the world is always through you or me. God always uses people. 
And the mercy of God flows into my life. And then the mercy of God flows through my life into the lives of others. And what you see here is how God works in showing mercy to the world. God always uses me and you to show mercy to the world. It's Him manifesting His mercy through my life. St. Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless. God demonstrates his mercy in me and through me to the world. So with that picture and with that definition, I want to make just three statements about mercy and we'll be done. We'll have mercy on you this morning and let you out. I'm just kidding. What are the three statements? Number one, mercy is not merely a feeling, but it's action. Both Jesus and those who are truly moved with mercy, they don't merely have a feeling. We don't merely have this churning in our heart. There's action. There's taking a step to enter into the hurts and the distresses of others. William Barclay said it this way, Mercy is not merely to sympathize with a person. It does not mean simply to feel sorry for someone. The word means the ability to get right inside the person's skin until we see things with their eyes, think their thoughts, feel their feelings. Clearly this is much more than an emotional wave of pity. Mercy is not just looking on someone's situation and saying, Man, God bless that guy. What's for lunch? It's not merely making an observation and hope somebody does something. Mercy has the ability to see from another person's perspective. Mercy always has the ability to put yourself in that person's shoes and see it from their perspective. Listen, whether it's someone who's hurting, whether it's someone who's in distress, or whether it's someone who's even wronged you, or sinned against you, or let you down, which we all have somehow, mercy has the ability to step in somebody's skin. Not that what they did was right or wrong, but see it from their perspective. God shows us that mercy. Mercy is not merely feeling, it's an action. Mercy does not merely see a person in distress. Mercy does whatever it takes to relieve their distress. Mercy doesn't merely see a lonely person. Mercy steps in and gives them time. Mercy doesn't merely see a person who is without. Mercy does whatever you can to meet that need as God leads and prompts you by His Spirit. A great example of this is the example of Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 2 says that because we were made of flesh and blood, that Jesus came and took on flesh and blood. The Bible goes on there in Hebrews 2.15 says, Therefore he had to be made like us, his brethren, in every way. He felt our feelings. He thought our thoughts. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He took on our flesh. So that, the Bible says, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest to God on our behalf. Jesus literally took on skin and flesh. It's what mercy does. You feel the thoughts and 
feel the hurts and moved to action. Mercy is not merely feeling, it's action. Secondly, mercy is not merely an event, but a way of life. Mercy is not merely an event, it's a way of life. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look very closely at what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say, blessed are the ones who do merciful things. One commentator said, mercy itself is not what Jesus is saying is blessed. Rather, the ones who are merciful people. There's a big difference here. This is where the Sermon on the Mount gets down into your heart and where the Beatitudes dig deep down into your heart. What Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying, okay, see how many merciful things you can do. Because I know a lot, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now, okay? You're hearing this message about mercy, and, and in your mind you're going, okay, let me think of some merciful things I can do this week. Hmm, let me think. Uh, that, that's kind of mer- Or you're looking back over your past week, and you're going, well, I, I think that was kind of merciful, what I did. And I, 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 I did this at work, and that was kind of merciful. And what you're doing is you're going through a catalog of merciful things. But Jesus goes beyond the surface of merciful things. Anybody can do merciful things. He digs down deep to the heart and he says, are we becoming merciful people who do merciful things? Say, I'm still not getting it. What do you mean by that? let Let me demonstrate it a little bit more for you. The question is not, what merciful things have I done? The question as we listen to the Sermon on the Mount is this. Lord, am I becoming a merciful person? Lord, is my life characterized by the mercy of God, of the Lord Jesus, overflowing with genuine, selfless, undeserved, spontaneous acts of mercy? Am I becoming that kind of person? I'm going to ask this question. Is mercy intertwined in everything I do? Not as an event. Is mercy intertwined in everything I do? Everything I say? How I treat those around me? See, I'm still not quite getting what you mean. Well, let me give you a, a great illustration from the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, God called His people to, to build this piece of furniture, it was called the Ark of the Covenant. You may have heard of that or seen Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. I don't know. Maybe you read about it in your Bible. It was this piece of furniture that was built. And it was this box, if you will. And the priests would carry it on these poles. And it was overlaid with gold. And it was this precious piece of furniture. And it demonstrated or symbolized the presence of God with His people. And on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant was two tablets of the Ten Commandments representing the justice of God and the law of God and the righteousness of God. And There was some manna in there that they had taken from Canaan. They put it in a jar and they put it there in the Ten Commandments representing the provision of God and God's faithfulness to His people. And all these represented different aspects of the character of God. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant was an interesting feature called, you might know, 
the mercy seat. What was that all about? Well, I think what it was was God giving us a great picture that sometimes God acts in justice. Sometimes God acts in righteousness. and Sometimes God has to confront sin and Sometimes God has to do hard things and sometimes God has to discipline his children and God does all those things perfectly but somehow, someway, all of those things are always intertwined with mercy. See that? And I think that's true in your life and my life that as we become merciful people, mercy's not just an event. It's not just things we do. We become genuinely from the very heart merciful people. And sometimes we have to do hard things. Sometimes we have to confront sin. Sometimes as a parent, we have to discipline our children, right? Sometimes as an employer, we have to deal with difficult employees. and Sometimes we have to confront others. And sometimes we have to cut budgets and lay people off. And if you're a law enforcement officer, sometimes you have to write tickets. And if you're a judge, sometimes you have to mete out justice. And that's just a part of life. But somehow, someway, as believers, as children of God, we do all those things. But somehow, we always do it with mercy being intermingled in everything we do. We do all these things, but we do them differently because of who we are. See that? Doesn't mean I don't discipline my children. I do. Doesn't mean I don't confront sin. And doesn't mean I don't do hard things sometimes. But somehow, someway, we do those differently because of the mercy of God in our lives. And the fact that we are becoming merciful people. See that? That's a whole lot more than just doing a few kind and merciful things. That's who we are becoming. Mercy is more than an event. It's a way of life. Thirdly, we'll be done. Mercy is not only physical, but it's spiritual. Matthew 20 that we read just a few minutes ago, the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion He touched the eyes of the blind men and immediately they regained their sight and they followed him. Jesus met their physical need. But then they became followers of Jesus Christ. He met their greater need of a relationship with him. Now listen, Jesus was the most merciful person who ever lived in the history of the world. He saw those who were suffering and felt deep compassion. To the outcasts, he gave them time. To the blind, he gave sight. To the lame, he let them walk. To the deaf, he opened their ears. He served people because he loved them. Some of them followed him. Some of them didn't. As Jesus followers, we don't show mercy Because we have an ulterior motive. We show mercy in the lives of people because we love them. And because God loves them. We don't have an ulterior motive. The world sees right through that. But what makes us different in the mercy we demonstrate is before God, we do have an ultimate motive. That yes, we rejoice when people's needs are met. And we rejoice when lives and, and, and people's immediate physical needs are cared for. But ultimately, we even more rejoice when their ultimate need is met. And they enter into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. 
We serve people whether they come to Christ or not. But we really rejoice when they do. Because we realize that is the greatest need of humanity. Listen, we rejoice as people of God when we hear what's been going on in Haiti. Over 90 Christian organizations are currently at work in the country of Haiti meeting physical needs and building homes and caring for orphans. And we want to do that. And we're going to be doing that as a church. But there was an event that took place in Haiti just a few days ago that we rejoice even more about. And you probably didn't hear about it on the media. You probably didn't see it on CNN. But I want to read you what happened in Haiti just a few days ago. On February 12, 2010, President Preval of Haiti called his nation to three days of prayer and fasting. You heard about that? If you want to check it out on Google, you can go check out Revival in Haiti. Incredible story. Over one million Haitians attended the three-day event. For three days from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., millions of Haitians came. Scriptures were read. Prayers were prayed. Songs of worship were sung. Declarations of repentance were made. Pastors preached and laid hands on the Haitian president there in the presence of all. President Preval literally stood up before these people and called out to God to have mercy on his people. There were at least 3,000 confirmed conversions during those three days of people giving their life to Christ. Of that number, 101 were confirmed to have been voodoo priests. You know why you don't hear about this on the popular media? Because they don't rejoice in the same things we rejoice in. Listen, we rejoice in mercy and we rejoice in people's needs being met. But we rejoice greater when God opens up and pours out mercy on a nation and saves souls. The report said God opened up heaven and showered mercy on the people of Haiti. And he is continuing to do that. Augustine said, if I weep for the body from which the soul is departed, should I not then weep much more for the soul from which God has departed? And we rejoice when needs are met. And we're a part of that, but as the people of God, we rejoice much more when the ultimate needs of Christ are met in the lives of individuals. Mercy is not just a feeling, it's action. It's not just an event, it's a way of life. Not just physical Spiritual. Last question, we're done. How do I become a more merciful person? How do I become a more merciful person? Well, the first question for you this morning is, have you personally ever experienced the abundant, great mercy of Christ? Has there ever been that time in your life where you realized apart from Jesus I have nothing and my greatest need is Christ and forgiveness and cried out for His mercy. The Bible says His mercy will flow in your life and change you from the inside out. Have you ever experienced that? This morning you can. You may be here and you are a believer and you have a relationship with Christ. How can you 
grow as a merciful person? Well, the question isn't really a question of mercy. Remember how he said the Beatitudes kind of build on one another? If you look over your life and you say, you know, my, my life, to be honest, is kind of characterized by maybe some merciful events. And I may do a few merciful things every now and then, but boy, I don't know that I'm becoming that person of mercy. Listen, did you know it's not a question of mercy? It's a question of the first beatitude. Have you recognized your constant poverty before God? In other words, are you daily recognizing God? I still don't bring anything to the table. Listen, Christianity is not an improvement plan. It's Christ living through you. And you need His mercy today as much as you needed it last year. How do you grow in mercy? Is you continue on a daily basis to drink from the mercies of God. That's why the Bible says this. Because of the Lord's faithful love, Lamentations 3. Because of His faithful love, we do not perish. For His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know why His mercies are new every morning, child of God? Because we need them every morning. Lack of mercy in my life is not a mercy issue. It's a brokenness issue before God. When we come before God poor in spirit, He floods our lives with mercy. And then He changes us from the inside out and we begin to live merciful. And we demonstrate mercy because it's who we are. And the Bible says when we live a life of demonstrating mercy, you know what He does? Gives us more mercy. I think that's what, that's what he means when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're broken before God. He floods our lives with mercy. We become more merciful people. We live merciful lives. And you know what he does? He just pours out more mercy. That's called the Christian life and Christian growth. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need the secret to being merciful child of God is to never stop drinking from the mercies of God blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy let's bow our heads this morning As our team comes to lead us, we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Right there where you're seated this morning. Before we move around, before we stand here in just a moment, right there. Take this moment before God. Lord Jesus. God, am I becoming a merciful person? God, is it possible like the religious leaders of that day that my religious activity is an encumbrance to even showing mercy. Lord, am I hungry in my heart for more of your mercy in my life? You may be here this morning and you realize that you have never experienced the mercy of Jesus Christ. You try to be a good person. You been religious but you've never experienced the forgiveness and the freedom and the mercy of God in your life Jesus Christ died for you the mercy of God is abundant this morning 
you can simply cry out to God, Lord, forgive me. I need you. Save me from my sin. Have mercy on me. And the promise of God is that he will extend abundant mercy in your life. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for this time. Lord, we ask you to do a deep, genuine work in our heart that we are merciful people. Because you are a merciful God. We need you. We love you. And we praise you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray together. Amen.